You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome into a Friday edition of Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every Heat game, news item, rumor, and more. Thanks for listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on the brand new podcast app, Himalaya. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil, and we are opening up the mailbag today. We've got a bunch of questions about where, uh, what the Heat should do in the NBA draft. Maybe they should trade down some potential trades, possibly, during the offseason. But let's start with this question from David Goldsteinberg. Definitely a real name. Uh, where do you rank Justice and Josh compared to other ones and twos in the league? Top 10, top 25? Where do they rank compared to other starters? For example, I rank Justice top 20 for starting point guards and Josh Richardson top 15 to top 20 for starting shooting guards. Now, David, before we kind of start just listing every point guard and shooting guard in the league, um, I thought we could use ESPN's real plus minus as sort of a, a baseline and go from there. It's not like their, their RPM isn't like... Great, but there's no like real uh, comprehensive just ranking of of players. But it, it, again, it's a good way to start. So Justice is listed as a small forward in their positional RPM rankings, and his RPM is two point zero four. So now, if you took that RPM and applied it to point guards, that would rank fifteenth in the league among point guards. It's not bad, yeah. Uh, that's behind James Harden, Curry, Lillard, CP3. Lowry, Holiday, Irving, Bledsoe, Conley, Walker, Beverly, Westbrook, Smart, George Hill, Derek White. Um, it's above guys like Ben Simmons, D'Angelo Russell, De'Aaron Fox, Jamal Murray, Goran Dragic, and Malcolm Brogdon. So again, not exact because I think everybody would say Ben Simmons is a better point guard than Justice Winslow, as uh, as is De'Aaron Fox, D'Angelo Russell. You can make arguments about Jamal Murray, Goran Dragic, and Malcolm Brogdon. I would probably I would probably put Brogdon over Justice as well. But yeah, I think right around that range sounds about right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any exact science to this, too. I mean, the, the statistics kind of show one, you know, way of perceiving his impact on the floor. But I mean, and we have such a small sample size, too. I wonder how realistic it is. Looking, I mean, not just the RPM factor. Obviously, that's you know applied to his positional, uh, you know, nature. But at the same time, judging from what we saw uh, from him as a point guard, is there enough of a sample size? Do you think? to view him as a point guard long-term as, as a over a season's worth of production and where he might rank as far as the top 30 point guards in the league or not. I, I look, I look at his passing ability, his ability to drive to the hoop, his improved shooting and overall his defense at the position. I think looking at that, I could see him being a top 15 point guard. I don't know if he's yeah. quite there yet. I'd say top 20 as David Goldsteinberg writes is probably much more realistic. And, and that's, I mean, there have been some issues across the league. There are some point guards that struggled with injury. There are some start, you know, there are some teams that just don't have a quality point guard. You look at Phoenix. You look at Orlando. I mean, no knock on DJ Augustin. I'm not sure if he's a much better point guard than Justice Winslow. No, I, I, I would take Justice over him just for his defense alone. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, um, and, and, and I think that's part of it. So, I mean, where does Josh, I'm sorry, where does uh, Richardson fall in this? Well, wait a minute. So, I want to, I want to, one more thing on Justice here. I think all of those guards that I listed, and now this is just starting point guards. You could also argue that Denver's Monty Morris, the backup behind Jamal Murray, is probably a better point guard than Justice Winslow. He's really good. That's fair. That's um, fair. But he's not a starter. Lou Williams, not a starter. Um, Patrick Beverly starts for the Clippers. I'd probably still take Justice Winslow over Patrick Beverly. Mm-hmm. 
It's, it's probably close. I'd still wait. I'll I take Winslow because I like I like his game to game upside. Um, I'd probably take Winslow over. You know, that's probably about it for sure. I'd probably take Winslow over uh, among uh, backups. Uh, well, against uh, on the the guys that I just listed in this RPM. Um, so I think look, that's fifteen guys. He's right there at about fifteen or sixteen. I'd probably put him in that Marcus Smart, George Hill kind of range. You know, probably the lower end, probably somewhere between 14, 15. Hill as a backup. George Hill's a backup, too. So, that, yeah, you're right. That doesn't even count either. So, um, yeah, I'd probably put him right around 15. That sounds about Where right. Does he st- okay, how about this? This is the ultimate determining factor. Where does he stack up against Dennis Schroeder? Oh, better. Right. And, and, yeah. and Schroeder is a starting caliber point guard, or at least he was. Yeah. He's a backup now, too. Another questionable starter in, in Oklahoma City. I mean... Russell Westbrook, I, I think you could say his impact is pretty undeniable, and yet it's not always the, for the best. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, and, and I don't mind Westbrook. I know he's he struggled with efficiency as his athleticism continues to wane, et cetera. But um, you know, I, 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 it's hard to stack up where you know where Winslow fits because you're right. I mean, his defense is is hard to categorize, but certainly much greater impact than most you know starting point guards. Look, Westbrook was a start. I was an MVP player. Mm-hmm. And his defense is terrible. I mean, yeah. like, I don't know why he he had this reputation at UCLA for being a stalwart defender, mostly because his athleticism compensated for a lot of issues. But he he lacks defensive feel completely. Whereas Winslow is a very very good defender. So you take Justin Winslow, Russell Russell Westbrook, got it. Um, Josh Richardson. Wait, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, I was kind of joking. Um, I mean, in a. I, Russell Westbrook's a better basketball player, but you we know that you can't win a championship with Russell Westbrook, and if you have him on that contract, I would probably take Winslow on his contract over being cornered into the Westbrook experience with that contract. I yeah, know. I think I think it's pretty fair to be honest with you. I, I, it's a it's a pretty legitimate question, and I mean Westbrook is a fine player for a number of games per season, but he'll shoot you in and out of games pretty easily. Something I don't think Winslow would. He, he's much more of a a game manager, I suppose. Justice, yeah, that's why I kind of put him in that. He's like uh, Marcus Smart with more upside offensively, which is a good point guard. That's a yeah, that's a good player. Uh, Ricky Rubio with more upside offensively. Josh Richardson, I think, is a little bit easier. His RPM is at a one point seven eight, which would actually rank fifth. It does rank fifth among shooting guards. Um, Let me actually pull up the the shooting guards. So the RPMs for shooting guards are kind of wacky. Danny Green is number one in the league. Then it's followed by Jimmy Butler, Victor Oladipo, Donovan Mitchell, and then there's Josh Richardson at five. Jeremy Lamb is right behind Josh Richardson at six, ahead of Bradley Beal at seven. Um, I'd rather have Jeremy Lamb than Bradley Beal for sure. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> according to ESPN's RPM, yeah. So, I look, I think Josh, there's some guys that are obviously above Richardson. Clay Thompson, you could argue, top shooting guard in the league. Jimmy Butler, Victor Oladipo, Donovan Mitchell, Bradley Beal, C.J. McCollum, all head over heels better than Josh Richardson. No debate about that, right? So, you get past that. Now you're getting into the Karis Leverts, the Buddy Heald, J.J. Redick, Danny Green, Devin Booker, Eric Gordon, Gary Harris, Zach Levine. I think Josh Richardson's right there with all those guys. Because defensively, he's better than... All of them except for Danny Green. And yes. I would argue his on-ball defense is better than Danny Green's. Danny Green is probably a better off-ball defender than Josh Richardson. Um, he's not the three-point shooter that Buddy he or not the score that Buddy Heald is, or this three-point shooter necessarily like a J.J. Redick, or even an Eric Gordon on a hot night. 
but offensively, he's more versatile than Reddick and Gordon. Um, Gary Harris has a lot of upside, but what he and he's good defensively too. I would put I basically I'm putting Josh Richardson right in there. I'd put him in as the top ten shooting guard in the league. That that seems like a bit of a stretch, but I mean it. It, it kind of is hard to figure out exactly where he ranks there because yeah. I mean, you, you listed the number of guys. Well, I mean, the ones one, that two, three, games. yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six guys definitely above them. Yeah, it, it's hard to look at it from that perspective. But yeah, I, I think that's maybe top ten is pushing it. Let's say within the ten to fifteen range. Top twelve for sure. Okay, split the difference. Marios writes in, hey guys, I love the Blue Notebook segment and all the work you put into it. My biggest question is, why do you worry so much about how the player fits with our roster? Do you think Bam, J. Rich, Winslow, and the new pick are going to be four of the five of an elite starting lineup? While I love our young core, they need to add two guys who are top-level talent around them for this team to be successful. We almost definitely aren't getting a Giannis type with this pick, so why worry so much about fit rather than just getting the absolute best player available? The odds are we're looking at guys who can be a solid rotational bench piece. If they prove better than that then and don't exactly fit into our starting lineup, then that means we can now use that overlap in potential trades. To put it more bluntly, why draft the guy who's the best fit around Bam when him playing next to Bam still won't make us legitimate and Bam could be traded in a package for a better player? Now, before we really dig into this, Marios, the number one reason we worry so much about the fit for the for the heat is because we need a third segment for all the blue notebook monday shows that we do and that was the best way to feel but other than that look no that that's a legitimate question best uh, uh fit versus best player available but david i think that you and i've been pretty steadfast in saying let's not worry so much about fit let's really go after best player available and that's why we look at a guy like romeo langford or kevin porter jr who are guards where this team has starting guards essentially in place we just talked about justice and josh but they're but we're saying no take the high upside because one of these guys could end up being your alpha i and i think that's fair but at the same time i am worried not necessarily worried but i do look at at fit as a wing player on this roster and how that makes sense and 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 there is a need for a, a starting caliber wing player so I mean, the fact that we're gravitating towards these players doesn't change the fact that they probably would fit best. And a big fit on this roster is a need for a superstar or a player with yeah. superstar potential. And I think that's why we're veering that way. To Marios's question, I, I think fit almost undoubtedly is the biggest factor in, in a player's success early on. Um, you know, you, you have to have stability. You have to have that kind of... Um, consistency with the coaching staff and everything else. A lot, a lot of young players with a lot of potential don't get that. Um, and and you, you go through this turmoil because they were drafted by lottery teams and then they go through a, a coaching turnover and things of that sort. But for the most part, it's also about fit. And you look at Bam, and I'm glad he brought up Bam as an example. You know, he was a lottery pick. How do we know he's a player that could be a foundational piece of a roster unless he gets his opportunity? And and part of that is the fact that Hassan Whiteside went down with an injury. And so we were able to see more and more of Bam, uh, you know, coming off the bench and then eventually starting to say, you know what? He is a foundational piece, and I think it's because of that fit, because he provides something that meshes well with the other starting caliber players. Like, I don't think you can look at any one player and say, oh, based on his performance or, or, or the opportunity that he hasn't gotten, that maybe we can still go ahead and include him in a trade package. I, I think you have to give a player an opportunity to play and prove himself. And and part of that means having to fit and mesh along with whatever rotation you're in. If, if it's coming off the bench or it's starting, either way, you're going to have to find a way to fit 
and play efficiently next to that group or else what's the point? Uh, and then you can assess the right that player. I mean, he may be a great practice player. What the hell does that matter? Yeah. I mean, what good is that doing assessing his ability to be an impact player, or maybe a long-term player that's a foundational piece? Right. And look, they drafted Bam, and that didn't turn Hassan Whiteside into a draft asset. I mean, let's look realistically <laughs> into what this team, who's, who's the trade asset here? Justice, Josh, Bam, yeah, they're trade assets, but the Heat have already determined that they're going to at least try to build around them. Right. And so, look, if and to almost just use Mario's argument against him, if there is a Giannis player on the board, regardless of position, you take that player. But like you just said, probably not going to happen. And let's keep in mind, Giannis, I don't want to take any credit away from him. But if he was sitting on the bench, if he was sitting on the bench, he would have never be like Jason Kidd did a nice job of saying, you know what, we need a point guard. So just go do that. You know, and, and Giannis for his credit, worked on it and became the starting point guard for right. that team. And now he's developed into a player that the Bucks have literally built around. But that doesn't happen if he's just been sitting on the bench. It just doesn't happen. And so you look at guys like that are picked in the middle of the draft, a lot of times they just end up sitting there. So I would rather the Heat find a player who can at least play. Maybe it's not the perfect fit next to Bam or Josh or Justice, but at least it's a position of need where that player can play because I don't want I don't want a Bam Adebayo situation again where he's playing eight minutes a game for the first couple well, years of his career or whatever. I mean, maybe this is a, a great potential or a what if type situation. But what if in two thousand eight when we were drafting you know, the second overall player, instead of looking at the monster season that Malik uh, that, that Michael Beasley had, what if we had looked at another player that might have been a better fit on this roster immediately? I mean. I mean, that might have changed the whole trajectory of the franchise, maybe. I, yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, maybe with the second pick, you just go with that overall best player. But there has to be a way to find how to maximize their talents. I mean, they can't just automatically bend the roster around them. Yeah. And, and Giannis was in a, an unusual case, and I think that's that's clear. Let's say a quick break here. But first, tune in to Locked on NBA for our mock drafts with the local experts on every team. Plus, get expert player breakdowns from SportsIllustrated.com's Jeremy Wu and the fantasy angle from our very own Josh Lloyd. It's all at Locked On NBA. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Mark writes in, Thoughts on trading down with Boston and taking KZ Akpala, a good overall player with great length and score on all levels, and Chuma Okiki, injured but was so good, could be a steal, a young Al Horford. Don't love the Al Horford comp, but I see the point. And then this other question, David, from Andre. If the Heat trade back in the first round, do you think that they could snag Luca Semantic? He's 6'11 with a 6'11 wingspan, has a 38-inch max vertical at the combine, and can shoot from three. Seems like a perfect fit next to Bam. We should uh, hook up Mark and Marios here. Um, Or not Mark, (laughs) Andre. Andre and Marios. Uh, So, yeah, trading down. What do you think about it? Well, I mean, what's the advantage of trading down? Like, this is this is one part of a two part question. Is it a make? Is it a move that they have to do because they're they're jettisoning some some bad contract right. and probably Dion or James Johnson? If that's the case, then sure. I guess the the, the questions are specifically about these potential draft options later in the draft and and Opala, I've heard bad things about. I think there's been some assessment there. I I haven't reviewed him personally and done any kind of extensive research on him as a draft prospect, although I've seen promising things from some people, but more often than not, there are legitimate questions. I mean, look, you look at a player that we both like, Rui Hachimura, and there are plenty of questions about his ability to make an impact at the NBA level, but I think there are some about Okpala, and I just don't know enough about him as a player to kind of challenge those. Do you know more about Okpala where you could say you definitely wouldn't or would want him on the Heat roster? 
if if we're talking about moving down with Boston, for example, at twenty or twenty two, right. that still seems too high to me for Akpala. He seems like an end of the first round, early second round type of guy. So it's still a little too early. I think they would be better players on the board, basically. 25 to 35 range, probably. Yeah. I would say even like 27 to 35, even. Um, Because we're talking about guys like P.J. Washington, Grant Williams. I would take these guys over. I've seen Washington in a lot of mocks in, like, top 10. Same. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I know they're all over the place. There's there's a lot here going on. Yeah. Well, I talked about on on our Thursday show, Keldon Johnson. Who yeah, I did moving up, <laughs> moving up, and and so look, these are guys like, and we remember this happened with Bam, right? He was a second round type of prospect. All of a sudden, he's popping up in the lottery. There's a reason for this. Guys at ESPN, guys at the Athletic, you know, guys at Sports Illustrated, they're talking to front offices and scouts, and front offices right now are putting their big boards together. And so now that's when you start seeing these risers actually start to rise in these mock drafts. There's intel behind a lot of these things. So yeah. when Keldon Johnson shows up at number ten to the Hawks. On ESPN's mock draft, that means something. That legitimately means something. And if Kelton Johnson does sneak, that means somebody drops. So ultimately, if I'm the Heat, I'd still pick 13. I would still prefer 13 over trading back and either grabbing, in Mark's scenario here, you can grab two picks, which I don't hate. Like if you're if you're going to trade back and get Boston's 20 and 22, that makes sense. But for Boston, I don't think it makes sense because they're already picking at 14. So I don't know why they would want the 13th pick too. Right. Like it seems to me like they'd run, they'd want to bunch all the like all three of their first rounders and get even higher, like into the top probably eight. Right. But um, so I don't, I don't think that just makes a ton of sense. Maybe you trade bra- back with other teams that have multiple first rounders, but um, or just trade back like you said, and maybe you're able to get off of a Dion Waiters or a James Johnson contract. I just, I don't love any of these. I, I we can, we can have. We, we could talk ourselves into guys. And look, somebody in the bottom 10 of this first round will be a good player. But that player is probably might not pop like Pascal Siakam did at 27 or anything like that. That said, this um, Semantic, Semantic, yeah. uh, whatever. Semantic, yeah. Kind of um, Nikola Miritich you know, a four who could stretch the floor, blah, 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 would be a decent fit. I, I just, just play Duncan Robinson there then. Like I just I don't see the point of trading back. Go get me the guy with the high upside. I think that's Miami's best option here uh, in the draft. Let's uh, move on to this next question from John, who writes in. Let's get this out of the way. Yes, the injury to KD sucks, but I can't stop thinking of the timeline of all of this could be beneficial to the Heat. If KD opts into his one-year player option with the Warriors, he'll be going into free agency when Miami will have uh, have or created a ton of cap space. Are the Warriors ready to give him a long-term deal coming off of an Achilles with the repeater tax looming over their head? Who knows? You could probably get KD and Giannis in the same free agency. Pie in the sky. John, definitely pie in the sky. Uh, I don't see this happening. I think Kevin Durant's Achilles injury, if anything, probably makes it more certain that he opts out. and Because he's going to get a max contract somewhere else. Like, he's going to. Achilles or not. So, go get that money now and, and, and get that four-year contract and go get that stability now. See, I, I, I thought, and maybe I just haven't done enough. I mean, it's been two days. And, and first, I want to say to John, thank you for at least admitting that KD's injury sucks. And it's, yes. a, it's a difficult topic to talk about, but I'm glad he included that caveat there. I, from what I'd seen, I thought the general consensus is that he's likely to stay and not exercise his, or, ex, or rather he will exercise his player option so that he can have the payday this season and then look to improve. You know, Hopefully we'll see what's his trajectory 
You think he can opt out and still get a max deal yes. this summer? Even okay. Yeah, I think I mean, I, right look, before it's... we started. By the way, right before we started recording this, Zach Lowe. I think it was Zach Lowe. Maybe it was Woj. Somebody reported that uh, the Nets and Knicks are still preparing to offer basically the max to both Kyrie and Kevin Durant in sort of a package. Like they're going to offer both of them the max. That's their pitch. So he's getting the max from Brooklyn or New York minimum. Like he's going to get it. Should he? Should he opt out? Yes. Should he opt out? And I do think he does. And and um, look, I just. I love I love I love the pie in the sky optimism, but just don't get your hopes up. Ke- Kevin Durant will never play for the Miami Heat. I just don't see it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I just don't see, Giannis, see it. I don't see Giannis yeah. leaving Milwaukee either. No, me neither. Uh, as long as they got a smoothie king in, in Milwaukee, he's fine. Jaron writes in with the rumor that LeBron would demand a trade should hashtag or not hashtag uh, parentheses when LA fails in free agency. Should Miami go all in for the King, just like they did in 2010? Braun obviously is familiar with Riley and Spolstra, and Riley won't retire until he won one more championship. Breaking news from Jaron here. Should Miami consider trading a package including a 13th pick, Justice or Josh, and a veteran like Dion, JJ Kelly, etc., or whatever they can scrap together, should Riley go all in? Uh, that's not happening. It's not, but they should. How about that? I, to answer his question, yes, yes. If you can get, if you can get LeBron, if you can somehow swing a deal, and somehow Rich Paul and Clutch Sports and LeBron and everybody else that's part of LeBron's rather large entourage and circle of, of, of friends and confidence agrees to go back to Miami for whatever reason, then yes, you do it. But that's not going to happen. To your point. Let's take a quick break here, and then we'll get to our final mailbag questions. Thank you to our sponsors, Hotels.com. Thank you to Untuck It. And thank you to Grip Six Belts. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. This question comes from Billy, who writes in, Isaiah Thomas is popping up on the Heat's Bleacher Report thread. You have talked before about how Isaiah is a player the Heat should stay away from, but if the Heat can move on from Dion and are looking to try and flip Dragic's expiring contract when he opts in, could Isaiah be the next low-risk, medium-reward player that he can sign? Isaiah might have been the face of those Brad Stevens early Celtics teams, but his role was more akin to that of Wayne Ellington two seasons ago, but also allowed to dribble and drive. I don't necessarily like the fit, but if the Heat make some trades, they will see some guard depth, or they will need some guard depth. Um, look, Isaiah Thomas, interesting thought from Billy. Um I actually sort of think it makes sense. Yeah, so do I. Uh, I'm glad to see it's on the same page, yeah. strangely enough. Um, I think, I think to Billy's point, maybe we discussed Isaiah Thomas a couple years ago when he had just been injured right. uh, and when he was available on the trading block or when he was in that kind of nebulous time period with the Cavs, etc. I, I mean, I, I just don't see that he's 100% yet, and I think that's it's been a humbling experience the last couple of seasons have, from being the king of Boston in the New England area to backing up the Brinks truck so you could collect a whole heck of a lot of money in free agency to being you know basically a, a good candidate for maybe at best a mid-level exception and the, maybe the lower mid-level exception or the veteran minimum. In some yeah, cases. I, I think he could get. I think he's probably going to get the minimum somewhere. And look, uh, Billy didn't even mention Dwayne Wade retiring. Like, bottom line, whether or not Dion and Dragic are still here, this is a team that had traded Tyler Johnson at the deadline. They're going to be without Dwayne Wade. They already they traded Wayne Ellington at the deadline. Like, they need a guard. They already need a guard as is. If Dion and, and Dragic are on the roster, they still need somebody to come off that bench. I love Isaiah Thomas for that role. That makes sense to me. Yeah. 
Now, I will say this, so I don't like the rumors of Vince Carter in Miami, and I've seen a lot of support for that among the Heat fan base, and I cannot tell you why. I mean, I will be writing this about this sometime soon, hopefully, but the point is, I just Carter's fit there as the quote-unquote veteran leadership that this team needs isn't the right fit. Like, Dwayne Wade, by virtue of being Dwayne Wade, and Udonis Haslam, by virtue of being there for, you know, 13 seasons, 16 seasons, 16 seasons, yeah. 13 seasons. How long, how long were they on this roster? It's been like 20, 20 or 30 years. It's, it's 2003, <laughs> no, 16 seasons, yeah. That's the, how they became the veteran leaders on this right. team. That, that's not that's not a role that you can just abdicate and then have Vince Carter, who's played in Memphis, Dallas, Atlanta, et cetera, et cetera, over the last few, Sacramento. Like, come on. You saw an up close with the Kings. Was he the veteran leader that they needed to get them over the hump? Clearly not the case. Uh, right. I mean, this, there's a reason why he keeps bouncing around is because he doesn't right. really instill that much knowledge into the locker room that he's in. And look, in Sacramento, first of all, the thing with Vince Carter – wonderful with the media. We'll take all the time in the world. He'll hang out late post-game in the locker room and answer all of your questions. Just absolutely wonderful with the media. He knows how to play the game. That's why. Sure. And so that's why, and, you know, people still cover Vince Carter. The ESPN has, like, this weird fetish with, like, showing Vince Carter highlights every chance they get and talking about how great he is. He's never won a championship. He's never won, really, a playoff game at a high level. I don't, like, I'm not here to diss Vince Carter, but let's not act like all of a sudden he's going to, you're, he's going to teach a young team how to win. He's done mostly losing for his entire career, right? What's he, he going to teach Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson that Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam haven't? Exactly. So we, we don't need to replace now Dwayne. Like, I'm, I'm not looking to replace Dwayne Wade with Udonis Haslam. If anything, the way you replace Wade and Haslam is by doing what Pat Riley said and you, you tighten the screws on the heat culture. That's how you replace that. That's how you replace that. You don't replace that with just old dude X. Right? That doesn't make any sense. If anything, you need to replace Dwayne Wade's scoring, and that's about it. That's about it. And I think Isaiah Thomas could absolutely do that, especially if you get him at a veteran minimum. It makes a lot of sense to me. I wouldn't want him as a starter, but bring him off the bench. And by the way, he's probably still going to need a little bit of time to get used to things, but I think Miami does a good job of getting guys into condition, getting guys in playing shape, and putting those guys into positions to succeed. I, um, yeah. I will add, I'm looking forward to the Woj bomb uh, regarding where old dude X signs this summer, I'll be honest with you. That should be the hot one. That should be the hot one. Josh Elliott writes in, would the Kings accept Hassan Whiteside for Harrison Barnes straight up? No, they would not. No. I can't imagine why they would take... Um, no. No, I don't see that happening. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much more we can go into this. I, I don't know that the Kings are necessarily building around Harrison Barnes, but considering they have Bagley on that roster... No, they and, and they, they... Exactly. The, Bagley is the future at center. You're not going to put Whiteside there. Do they need a tradition... They need rim protection. They need rebounding. They don't need it at $27 million a year. And they don't need it at the expense of Harrison Barnes, who also is could opt into his contract like Whiteside or could opt out. And by the way, if Harrison Barnes opts out, he's making a lot more money than if Whiteside opted out. He's a better player than his son Whiteside, and the Kings love him. So there's no way that they do that. Um, his son Whiteside to Charlotte... Now we're talking. I do. I still think that that's very realistic. I mean, we've seen rumors, but yes. I, I don't know. I don't think Mitch Kupchak's enamored, and Borrego. I don't know what. I can't recall his defensive priority now. But I don't think having a, a big rim protector. I mean, he like. Well, actually, he had. Well, he has Cody Zeller. He's, yeah. he's got Biombo. Well, it's Doesn't an upgrade. It's an upgrade on a team that can't really find an upgrade. Like no, if you could flip Bismack Biombo and a couple of draft picks for Whiteside, I think you'd do it. If you could tra- if you could flip Nick Batum, his who's been kind of a failed experiment for them for Whiteside, I think they would do it. 
Now, would the Heat do it? I don't know. But if they want to get basically get off of Whiteside and go headlong into the the Bam Adebayo at center era, then maybe you do. Or they draft Bull Bull. Not God. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Uh, next week, we're going to have a whole bunch of NBA draft content. The draft is Thursday, David. Really excited for that. So we'll be on top of it. We're going to be all over it next week. We'll catch you then. Thanks for joining me, David. Father and son combinations, Manute and Bull Bull, Tim Hardaway and Tim Hardaway Jr. Come on. It's the future of the heat. Wrap it up,